The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It should not be used in the place of advice from a mental health medical professional for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. The opinions shared in this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect those of our employers. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of GFT. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We have, like, another one. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. Can you believe it, John? Oh, my Game of Thrones. Oh, my Game of Thrones is right, because, guys, we are talking about Game of Thrones. And yes, this is John. Um, Leah is still, like, super busy, so we are changing up everything. Um, and we will have John on for the foreseeable future because he likes talking about everything I like talking about. So he is going to be my co-host. I like to talk a lot. I like to hear myself talk. <laughs> so, um, but what I wanted to talk about first, because we all know we like to play a really quick game of catch up. First off, one of the first things I wanted to talk about was on Snap recently, um, I was, of course, snapping me and my dog because that's what I usually do on Snap. I don't do anything else. Um, I actually had somebody ask me when's the next episode of GFT. And I said, oh, my God, we have a two hour episode of GFT coming out. And uh, he was really excited about that. And he goes, but are you guys actually back back? And I said, oh, you'll have to wait. And um Man, too bad I don't have my phone with me because I hate it buzzing on the desk. Because mm-hmm. um, I would be live snapping this right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, guys, we are back. We are actually doing more episodes. We will be doing consistent episodes. So you will be having more GFT. Excited! Um, you will hear me clinking every once in a while, and that's because I'm drinking coffee because it's super early in the morning for me. I am a morning person, so I am happy to be talking in the morning for once. And I don't mind this. (laughs) Because you know what this gets me to do? Right after I get to do this, I get to get a manicure and a pedicure. So thank you for this. Ah, perfect. (laughs) <laughs> you you spark joy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Big disclaimer, people. This is going to be one of my first episodes where I go without notes. Yes. So everybody who listens to HCAT will know we do have notes. It's an ongoing joke for us. Um, we talked about it in our specials because um, Josue had actually seen our notes um, and we talked about it in the special for GFT where HCAT took over, um, where we had notes for this, for that episode. But speaking about how I do things on GFT and there's so much to cover and so much to talk about, John realized it's almost impossible to do notes. <laughs> I mean, okay, I wouldn't say impossible. I said almost. <laughs> yeah, give give me some time and money and I will write amazing notes. Yes, but we do not have a semester. Yeah, exactly. 
especially since today we are talking about everybody's either loved or loathed because for some strange reason it's completely polar last season of game of thrones i'm not going to comment on which team i i am on so there is luckily only six episodes but it's still a very meaty season there is a lot that's going on and in all of this there are a lot of family dynamics that we have to look at and a lot of family dynamics that kind of um i would say come full circle mhm um and to take those notes we would have needed to do my genogram which ha 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 maybe i did uh <laughs> we will have had to do what was that other thing that we keep talking about that you were actually really good at um um family map family mapping we would have had to do family mapping um which i did not do because that takes a very long time um and family mapping would definitely have had to do the whole eight seasons mm-hmm. um and then you know we would have to look at eco maps which is different from family mappings eco maps talks about the um all the dif- different systems that interact with each different individual or each different individual family and how that affects them stresses them out things like that yeah um and that's a lot of work so <laughs> again we're not going to go into all of that and this is you know one thing i really like about game of thrones is that this is a show about families i mean when you really sort of cut it it's all when everybody talks about houses they're talking about families and sort of <clears throat> the philosophies that those families have and the interactions they have amongst their siblings and then the interactions that families have amongst other families and what i find really interesting is that in game of thrones it's this thing where it's blown up completely because these families have so much power that they have you know the the consequences of these families relationships with other families it it ripples throughout the whole continent yeah and so i find it very interesting to talk about um just the way these families have so much power nearly godhood like um power that and how they clash and how they meet and form alliances and you know the opposite of alliances enemies yeah <laughs> yes that would be uh yeah okay so yeah i'm excited <clears throat> all right so um let's talk i guess with the lannisters okay so we're going to start with the lannisters yeah let's start with the lannisters because i mean we can start with the um and everybody starting from the title the title is spoilerific um so this whole episode guess what spoilerific we're going to spoil the whole series yeah. so if you haven't seen the series you could probably skip this episode um if you don't care listen to the episode if you just want to get some like f- full on family dynamic stuff if 
you haven't seen this season and want to catch up on it and are waiting for a loved one to do something so that you can catch up with them, skip this episode. And when they come back and you watch it, listen to this episode. You'll love it. Trust me. Okay. So the Lannisters. Um, of course, we know uh, Lannisters we have left is Cersei with Unborn, um, Jamie, and Tyrion. Yeah. And we start with that family dynamic. So Cersei has officially been sort of abandoned by Jamie, who has left to join um, the Northmen to fight the the undead. Yeah. Um, so she is, of course, enraged. She, there can be some feelings of abandonment there. Um, we don't know those emotions because her whole thing is completely just encased in enragement. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the fact that, um, the actress, though, got like a million dollars to literally just stand in a window and drink wine, though. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have that job? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. In, in terms of like, are we going to go like through their character arcs as the series has gone on? You can. I mean, because. Are we going to make this a two hour season, uh, two hour episode? No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I really want to work into what is core about these characters. So, I mean, Cersei was very... So if we start from the very beginning, mm-hmm. a very good place to start. <laughs> Sorry. We, 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 we start at the beginning. Yes. So if we start at the very beginning with, with Cersei, Cersei was very abused. Mm-hmm. Um. Um, Cersei was married to Robert Baratheon, who did not really love her. He married her because he was supposed to marry, uh, and I'm going to screw up this name, Lyanna Stark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, when Lyanna was, um, and uh, nobody can see it, but I'm going to do it, air quotes, uh, and as I call them, bunny ears, uh, Kidnapped by Rhaegar Targaryen, um, he went on this long crusade to go find her um, because he wanted to marry her. He was supposed to marry her and whatever. That's another part of the story, which we will get into. Uh, She ends up dying. He marries Cersei Lannister, um, which was part of Tywin Lannister's sort of bid for control and... Um, cause Tywin Lannister is very intelligent and he wants to get all the houses together because he knows the best way to, uh, join the, uh, the, the family strength is if you get all the houses married together. So he marries Cersei to, um, Robert Baratheon. He wanted, um, Jamie to marry one of the Starks. But because Cersei was so in love with her brother, she talked him into becoming Kingsguard, which pissed uh, 
Tyron, uh, Tywin off extremely. Like, yeah. Because once you're King's Guard, you can't get married. Yeah. And this is very interesting because what's core about the Lannisters is that, you know, Tywin was the one that was sort of carrying the family in the sense that what was most important to him as a father was reputation. And for that family to to sort of um, go up the ranks in, in sort of uh, renown. And he wanted to teach Cersei and Jaime to live in that kind of world, to for Cersei to sort of understand that her social capital is her sex and her... Um, her ability to marry off into a higher class family. Yes. And the same for Jamie. And in a way, J- Cersei and Jamie were fighting for this sort of independence. They mm-hmm. wanted to just, you know, love each other in this incestuous relationship and, um, and uh, not live in their father's shadow. While, Tyrion, which we'll go into later, you know, he was sort of the black sheep of the family because he brought shame because of his him being born a chondroplastic or uh, a dwarf, as the series puts it. Um, well, in the in the books, he's referred to as an imp. In, yeah. In the books, it's completely different. He's like almost completely malformed. Yeah, and. Uh, also, Tyrion, uh, I think her, uh, their mother died in childbirth. Yes, with yeah. w- with uh, Tyrion. So, yeah. um, Tywin is very um, angry at Tyrion, which causes, of course, a lot of animosity towards the, uh, uh, animosity throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I am not. I'm going to attempt to not do the books. Okay. I've read a lot of the books. I'm going to attempt to not do the books um, and stick th- uh, solely to <laughs> to the series, to the ser- the television series. So if I do anything from the books, please correct me. Okay. Okay. I have not read a single book <laughs> because I find the language a bit slow, so I couldn't. Yes, I <laughs> I have a thing. I'm a bibliophile. I will pick up any book and I will like. Good for you. Yes. Okay. Okay. So Cersei. Cersei. So so she went through a lot of abuse. Um, so Robert Baratheon then married her. Um, it, was, he, it was a loveless marriage. It was a very loveless marriage. Um, and the sex throughout it was pretty much rape. Um, the one time that she was consensual was during their wedding night. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, even then, he could not really complete the act. Yeah. Um, the only time he could complete the act, he had to be extremely drunk, very angry, or after a hunt, which Cersei found repulsive, repugnant. Is that the correct word? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she is, despised the smell of him, the feel of him, everything. So... Um, he would then hit her, berate her, everything. It was her fault. Um, Cersei and Jamie, of course, loved one another in that, um, brother and sisterly bond. But of course, then that grew. So then we have that incestuous relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, she knew that she would be replaced, um, if she could not produce an heir and Jamie was willing. Oh, that sorry from the book. 
that part's from the book. My bad. So, um, either way, she bore Jamie. She bore. She bore Robert Baratheon, and again, that's quoted. She bore Robert Baratheon three children. We know they are the Lannister. Uh, they are full blood Lannisters. Okay. Um, and actually, so John, what happens if like? In a incestuous relationship, would they normally be that like? Because they they don't they don't seem to have any type of problems. Well, um, that's actually a very complicated question because you can have incestuous relationships, and the only thing that actually does is increase the chance of having some form of um of genetic illness that that's repeated because sometimes we have these genes that are what we call recessive and they're not shown unless you inherit the gene from both your father and your mother so if your mother gives you the gene but your father doesn't you won't show that trait but if they both have the gene because they're both from the same family and they both have pretty much they 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 take those genes from the same gene pool you're more likely to sort of inherit that that illness now, some people have talked about how maybe this is a sign that um, uh, mental illness runs in the family. Mm -hmm. um, and it is expressed in the sort of, for example, how uh, antisocial personality disorder um, is expressed in, um, what was that kid's name? Um, oh, horrible um, kid. Joffrey? Joffrey, yeah, the one who everyone hated. But it's not something you see consistently throughout the whole um, family line. So it's not exactly something you can really point to, um, as opposed to uh, the way they describe Daenerys as being very aggressive. And that's something you can see throughout the whole uh, Targaryen uh, family line. Um, which is interrupted with Jon Snow, but at the same time, Jon Snow is half Stark. So it could be that he did not inherit those uh, Targaryen genes because if they were recessive in a way, um, he's protected by his Stark um, um, gene line, family line, that. So, so basically he was... Lucky enough to kind of water down Ow. his his genes. Sorry, watered down. for some strange reason, I had a pop up. <laughs> uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, everybody. <laughs> so yeah, um, it I, it it isn't necessarily like this is very common in history, where we had these hierarchies, these monarchies that in they were inbred. And uh, there is a thorough documented history of like hemophilic disorders, which were like bleeding disorders where they would bleed too much. Um, but it's not something we definitely see in all of Cersei's children. So I wouldn't say it was a problem in this case. It, it didn't turn out to be a problem. Yeah, they seem to actually not have any... Um genetic Any illness genetic illnesses which is which is amazing yeah so all right but um the the thing is that cersei she, she was all about her family 
in a sense that I think she was trying while living in the shadow of Tywin. She wanted to sort of be that person that that bred power. And she she goes when she's talking with Littlefinger, I think it was, where she says power is power. Yes. And when she's faced with this fact that, you know, her only interaction with other families has always been um destructive or perhaps a, a you know horrible yeah um she just involutes and her whole character arc throughout the whole series is about her protecting her family's um lineage respect um and trying to sort of get that at all costs i mean it's it's a good reason to say that it's a good reason for her to really want that, especially being that, uh, I mean, sh I, I'm going to say this and, and I want it. Cersei is a very weird character for me because I both liked her and not liked her all at the same time. Mm -hmm. She is a very motherly character. Yes. Um, and she very much exuded that um that motherly um and and it's funny because their mo their uh their crest is the lion mm -hmm. so she had that lioness sort of uh thing about her her protective she was protective over uh Joffrey Tommen and Mer my, Marcella, my, yeah, I think that's how how you pronounce her name. Um, and she was very upset when uh, uh, Tyrion wanted to marry her her, uh, her off to the um, oh my god, which which house was it? The Martells or the Tyrells? The Tyrells. Mm. Um, which was funny because. Both Tommen and Joffrey married into the Tyrells. So, but that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah. But to gain, again, to gain alliances, um, they wanted to marry, have those families um, uh, married, married together and to con uh, concrete those, uh, those alliances. And that's, that's, I think, very important because actually Cersei did not believe in alliances. No, she did not. She was very against them. Um, and I think it's because of how her uh, her supposed alliance with um, the Baratheon house went. Yeah. I think she believed that it's better to have alliances through fear than through sort of marrying uh, family members of. Um, and so she did everything possible. She, every, throughout the whole series, she was always in mistrust of distrust of other people. And she was always looking out for her children in a way that was like, um, let me find out ways in which I can cut this snake's head off in the case that they do not abide to our wishes and my son's or daughter's interests. Yes. So now there is, um, let's do Jamie. Okay. Uh, so Jamie is now because uh, ja uh, I want to say Jamie is the prote protector. Yeah. Because 
so if we say Cersei is the mother figure, Jamie would be the protector of the family. Um, and we see this not only by the fact that he is the, <laughs> not only is, Jamie is a lot of things. He's a king's uh, guard. He chooses to become the king's guard um, for love of his sister, uh, both ancestral love and brotherly love. Yes. Um, but he also doesn't like Robert Baratheon and he knows what's going on. Yeah. Um. So, <clears throat> but at the same time, he was the only one in the family who actually had a great relationship with Tyrion. Yes. So, and that was what I was going to say was next. Um, he was the the only one who kept Tyrion at his side. Mm -hmm. Um, he and Tyrion were very very close. And Tyrion remarks about that the whole, like, anytime you, you see Tyrion and Jaime together, it's always remarked about how, you know, if it wasn't for Tyrion, if it wasn't for Jaime, a lot of things. Yeah. Um, Cersei doesn't like um, Tyrion, of course. And Jaime's like, well, he's our, he's our little brother, we have to care for him. And I think it's the, the relationship that... Cersei should have with Jamie. Uh, I mean, Cersei should have with Tyrion is what the re relationship that Jamie has with yeah. with Tyrion. So have he you, is the protector of every of both of them. And have he's you the ever one had a uh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Have you ever had a case like this where maybe there's uh, some form of severe mental illness in the family or some form of disability and you get these sort of um, relationship where one of the siblings is very understanding and the other sibling is perhaps jealous of the attention they get or like um, is it sort of wants to erase that part of their family? Um, it wasn't that the other sibling was jealous. It was that they didn't want to. It was a lot of psychoeducation. And mm -hmm. it was almost as if they felt that if they spent too much time, that it would sort of rub off on them. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that was part of it. The other part of it was that they... Um, They didn't want the responsibility. Yeah. And and uh, sometimes it's shame when other people come into the household. Yeah. So it's a family secret. It's shame. It's a lot of that. And um, and it was a lot of the like, well, why does it have to be a secret? What's wrong with this yeah. situation? And once we got with the psychoeducation and we explained how pretty much um, quote unquote normal um, the other sibling could be. Mm -hmm. with with some accommodations um that other sibling became very more um uh a lot more um very more oh my god this is how you know it's like super early <laughs> <laughs> a lot more um understanding and and just um willing to interact with the siblings um more often there was actually a lot less uh yeah. problems in the home since then and so coming back to Jamie, he was a character that once he he was very um, caught up in the whole Lannister ideal and in the same ideal that Cersei was caught up in until he was kidnapped um, by 
by the Starks. He was held hostage by the Starks. He had this conversation with Catelyn Stark. She negotiated his um, exchanging him for Sansa and Arya, which they thought were being captured by the Lannisters. And throughout his journey with Brienne, he sort of sees the suffering the North has gone through. And when he comes back, he can't see unsee the cruelty in Cersei. He still loves her, and he still has this relationship with her that's romantic. But um, he can't unsee it. Yes, and that's that's the um, that's the weird thing. He can't unsee it, but he still loves her. Yeah, and he wants to. Um, He kind of wants to fix that. Yeah, because as as you mentioned, he sort of his reputation has been as the sort of protector of the family and the one who keeps the family together. Mm-hmm. And it's like this sort of situation when you know one of your family members has done something horrible, but your family and you feel like you have to sort of keep it together and be there for them, even if they did something horrible. And that sort of pressure to sort of maybe there's a way that I can sort of redeem them or or help them. Jamie is, if we, if we use tarot cards, Jamie is the fool. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. He is, uh, Jamie's a couple of them. Jamie was the fool. He was, um, oh my God. He, uh, Jamie and Cersei could be the lovers. Yeah, he could, temperance. I think would be also good. For mm-hmm. Yeah, and the hanged man. Oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh I my know. god. Why are we bringing this up? There are certain meanings to tarot cards, um, and it was brought up in a conversation I had with someone else, and it it just popped into my mind. I don't know why. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> I I I literally free flow like this all the time. So all right. So Cersei with. Ty- uh, Tyrion, mm-hmm. Tyrion, oh my Tyrion. God. Tyrion. So Tyrion is the last of the fa- uh, of the three uh, children. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tyrion, of course, um, is isolated. He's alone. Um, and my favorite co- quote from him is, "I drink and I know things." He is, um. Very intelligent, and not just intelligent, he's wise. Um, there is a difference from wisdom and intelligent. You can be extremely intelligent and still not know not to cross the street when traffic is coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's a difference between um, intelligence and wisdom. Um, Tyrion is always asked for his advice for things. Uh, we see that from Jamie. Um, it's also the reason why um, Tywin, knowing that Tyrion doesn't like his nephew Joffrey, but um, seeing that Tyrion is also very brave, can um, at, has him become the Hand of the King. Um, the Hand of the King is a person who's supposed to basically be like a vizier, uh, an advisor. So his job is to advise, to protect, and to sort of make sure the king is doing everything. Um, that sort of needs to be done while still maintaining the alliances within the kingdom. Yeah. Um, Joffrey was a sadistic little prick. 
<laughs> um, and even though he had... That's a scientific term right there. That right there is so scientific. <laughs> um, so even though he had, Tyrion would never use him. Yeah. Um, um, I think also it's very important to mention Tyrion's intelligence and intellect is something he cultivated as a resiliency factor. Yes. Because uh, the whole Lannister family, they're by nature very attractive, very, um, um, what's the word, um, charismatic. And uh, that's something that simply because of his looks, Tyrion cannot have. Well, um, I okay, I will actually argue he was charismatic he yeah, wasn't he was, he was yeah. not uh attractive mm-hmm. um so if we were uh, rolling up a D character because his looks were so um so all right so D terms if he rolled a natural 20 and put that on his charisma he would still have to take off like mm, five or six points because of his looks I think it would be like on look checks. Like I would put that as a separate, Attra- like, like an attraction modifier. Yeah, like if if you know that you have to roll for something that has to do with like initial physical attraction, physical attraction or physical appearances. Like if he's like going, if he's going for president, but he's not making a speech, he definitely won't have as many points as he would have after making the speech. Yeah, look at Trump. Yeah. No, we have a nacho. No. Okay, <laughs> um, we have a nacho with troll hair. Yeah. So moving on with yeah. tiny little hands. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> so okay, but <laughs> with nacho with troll hair with tiny little hands. Um. So so yes. So if he rolled his natural twenty, and uh, he, and he put that as his charisma. And he had to do anything with appearances, he would ha- probably have a negative like five against him. Because- At the same time, when when he's charismatic, um, his appeals are not to like their emotions; it's generally to logic. Um, and part of what makes him so charismatic is that his logic is generally infallible until the last season. Um, yes. Well, so okay. So why do you think that is? Because he sees things um, outside of his own pride, um, he's already um, everybody. Nobody like holds him in high regard on first um, impressions. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't care about his reputation. He cares about people doing the right thing, or like people acting logically. And when he had, there's a lot of interactions with him, with other people in the series where they're like, oh, I'm not going to take advice from a dwarf or something like that, or from an imp. And he says like, you know, you cannot take my advice, but this is going to be the obvious conclusion. And they go like, well, I guess that's right. <laughs> yeah. And so, so it's, yeah. But the last season, why do you think it is that? Is it because of him or because of other people? That what? That his opinions are, or his his knowledge is is sort of fallible. Um, I think it's because Daenerys recognized him as a human being, um, and this this is the only person 
that has done that to that degree since Jamie, when she named him Hand of the Queen, mm-hmm. she told him, like, you're valuable and, like, I value your intelligence. And I think that might have um, murkied his um, his appeal to logic because he really wanted to believe in her. So I'm going to argue that in the last season with him, and, and it, I think it's more towards that last point. Mm-hmm. And I understand why. Yes. And, and I will argue why I saw kind of Daenerys going just a tad bit crazy. I would have liked it to have spread out longer than six episodes yeah. so that other people can really see where the madness kind of came from. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw it kind of coming. Um, but the, uh, the, where, where he started kind of slipping was the one thing that even though he hated his father, Mm -hmm. he loved his brother. And the one thing that he would always do is he was a Lannister. Mm -hmm. Family was family. So even though his sister and him never got along, he appealed to his sister. He didn't appeal to the Queen of the Seven Kingdoms. He appealed to Cersei. Mm-hmm. That's where he lost. He started losing his uh, Daenerys's respect. Yeah. He, you know, Cersei is another mad queen. I'm sorry, she was fucking bonkers. Yeah. Another scientific term. She was not, she did not care. Her thing was just about power. Um, her favorite saying is when you play the Game of Thrones, you, um, win or you, die. you win or you die. And she knew that. And her, her thing was she was going to win. She wanted to technically to win for her children. She wanted her children to win, but she also knew her, that wasn't to be. It, that was preordained that that wasn't supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kept playing. So she kept playing the, the Game of Thrones and she kept winning. And if you play, uh, if you play any type of uh, betting game, you, you realize that after a while of winning, your chances of losing are... Um, infinitely more, um, or infinitely larger. So you're going to lose sooner than later. Especially if she's winning without making alliances or making anything stable. Yes. And, and it's going to be a very large loss, like mm, all of King's Landing, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Cersei did something where she lost everything um she sacrificed everything she basically put all her chips on the table and said guess what i'm putting everything in because i've never lost uh which was what happened at the very end i'm gonna stay here at the red keep because the red keep doesn't fall and i'm gonna bring all the people in because nothing happens here we always stay safe uh what's the what's that weird saying um We've always done it this way, so why change it now? 
Yeah. And she's in denial because I remember there was this episode when the, um, I don't remember when there was like the dragon's flame, the, where Tyrion staged the, the, when Tyrion protected the Red Keep. Yes. And she was talking to Sansa and she was telling her like, oh, if they come in here, they're going to rape you. They're going to kill us. Um, this is going to happen. And this time around, she was in complete denial. Yes. Um, she was like, you know, things are going to happen in our favor. Um, nothing is going to happen. We're not going to lose this until the very last second. Yep. Oh. So, so she was in, yeah. So again, complete difference from what was that season two or season three mm-hmm. to season eight. So one season saying, this is this can happen. The red keep can fall. We can lose everything. To this isn't going to happen. We're going to win. Everything's going to be fine. Um, and that was the difference. So she went from being realistic, being the protector of her family, to saying, "Guess what? My family never loses." And basically, she was her family. That's all she had left because Jamie and Tyrion were against her. Mm-hmm. So she was all she had left, her and her unborn baby. So she just had to protect those two. Yeah. And if they were in the red keep, they were fine because her denial set in. So she was a little, you know, cuckoo. Um, and again, tons, and then, of, tons of yeah scientific words here today. Um, and Tyrion, again, appealed to to family. He didn't appeal to logic. He didn't use his intelligence because in his intelligence would have said, Cersei isn't going to believe any of this. He tried to appeal to the family member. Mm-hmm. The family member who doesn't really like him. Yeah. But he tried to say, you're going to be a mother. I know you're pregnant. Like, come on. You in have part, to protect her. I think he did that because of Jamie, because he knew how much Jamie would suffer if she were to die, if she were to lose her child. And part of him is attached to that, to Cersei by proxy. You're right. But again, this is his downfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's not that Tyrion has abandoned his family. Tyrion, no matter what, I think, always wants a connection with his family. Yeah. He craves a connection with his family. His connect his family, the only connection with his family that he has is Jamie. And in all honesty, in family therapy, some of the one of the things we try to say is sometimes craving and wanting that connection with your blood family is toxic for you and is unhealthy for you and if you have one healthy relationship with your blood family cultivate that one but build your family of choice Mm -hmm. because that is the one that you need that's the healthy one that's your supports those are the ones that will help build you up those are the ones that'll be there for you wanting to build uh cersei as a support or wanting to protect uh, Cersei for for Jamie's sake is inconsequential because she is not um, she's not going to listen to him. She's never going to return that that sort of affection or, or yeah. 
she she's not even going to give him the benefit of the doubt. She does she thinks of him as less than a person. Yeah. So it's not even that uh it's not even a situation of oh, you know what? Tyrion is very intelligent. She knows he's very intelligent. She thinks he's less than a person. Mhm. So even though he's very intelligent, he's very intelligent for say a circus animal. Yeah. And what do you do with circus animals that are very intelligent? You train them, you teach them tricks, and you give them food. Yeah. That's what she does. And then to sort of wrap it up on Lannister, unless you have something more to say. No, um, because we have to do, like, all of this comes full circle. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> We've got 44 minutes, and I thought we, were gonna, we weren't going to do two hours. <laughs> um, so silly. Well, surprise. Um, <laughs> Jamie... You know, full circle, Jamie was always about protection, and a lot of people were surprised when he left um, Winterfell for Cersei. Oh my god, um, that broke my heart. He left Brienne. I have been the biggest Brienne and Jamie shipper since, like, day one. Me too. I was like, I, I don't see people were like, Tormund and, and Brienne, and I was like... <laughs> Um, no. <laughs> no, Jamie and This, this would never work. This no. would absolutely never work. But Jamie and Brienne, they already have this sort of relationship that they've been developing since the beginning. Yep. Um, and, but at the same time, like, I think it's very consistent because even if Jamie was in love with Brienne over Cersei, even if that was the case, he's still the protector of his family. Yes. Um, and... It's again back to this point that Cersei has done horrible things and he's done terrible things as well. Um, and he's saying, like, I still have to go back and make sure that my family is safe. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something you can't stop me from because this is part of who I am. I protect my family. <sighs> so sad. And that's how, you know, they end up in a dungeon that Tyrion set up as an escape route. Um, so they all came back together in a way, except Cersei. To but it it, it ended up the uh, the what is it the what are those things called the the fortune teller told Cersei what was going to happen and it came to fruition. Yeah. So listen to those fortune tellers. Really, people don't listen to fortune tellers. But <laughs> if you live in a fantasy universe. <laughs> Listen to those oracles, especially if they give you a very disturbing um, prophecy when you're a child. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So now the Starks. So, and we're only going to do those two family because, oh, actually, no. Well, yeah, we're going to only right, do the, are we going to do the Targaryens? No. Uh, maybe if you want to discuss it in another episode. Yeah, we'll do the Targaryens separately just because there's a lot to unpack with the Targaryens. Um, mm -hmm. um, I we think, could cover other families as yeah, well. Yeah, I think, oh. yeah, we'll do an episode per family. Because <laughs> 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 apparently we can. <laughs> uh -huh. So, all right. So the Starks. So, yes, we have left with the Starks. Uh, Bronn, goodbye, Rickon. Um Jon Snow, which was officially made a Stark and the King of the North. Um, Arya. And which is something? just Arya. Yes, she is the assassin badass. She's a girl, and her name is Arya Stark. 
and Sansa. Sansa. Ugh, Sansa. Sansa has great in. Do we want? To, I, I don't want to start with Sansa because Sansa is so much. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with Arya. I think she. Let's is go the in alphabetical most... order. Okay. Arya. <laughs> Arya. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Okay, so Arya. Arya. Oh my God! Can we just clap for Arya? <laughs> Arya is another one who has grown from the beginning. So. Yeah. Arya, from the beginning, started off with, I do not want to be a lady. I don't want to be a lady. I don't see the point in just sitting down with a needle and um, doing, what is that? What is that thing? I don't do it, so I don't know it. Needle point. Duh. Um, she, she wanted to be this, she wanted to be a knight. She wanted to ride horses. She was very good with a bow and arrow, which we see in season one when Bronn is trying to... Um, shoot the target and Arya does it um and he she's amazing from the beginning john buys her her first sword which is needle and needle survives um one thing i i really like about Arya is that um her arc starts out looking like a a arc about gender and the gender norms that she was expected to to fulfill mm-hmm but it very quickly, she comes to terms with how she wants to represent itself. And it's no longer about gender. It's about empowerment and yes. about um, her just being a badass, faceless woman and bringing justice to what was done to her family. Yes, she is very much about justice. She's very much about... Um, she's... Uh, I want to say she's like one of those protectors of the people. Mm -hmm. um, she wants to bring justice, sort of vengeance um, to those who have wronged her family. So, of course, Arya has her list of people who should die, mm -hmm. um, which, of course, Cersei is on it. The Hound, um, the Mountain. Um, who else is on that list? Joffrey. And other people. I really want to pull up this list. I'm like, who the hell's on this list? <laughs> Come on, people. Who's on the list? Somebody tell me. So Joffrey, Cersei, the Tickler, Polliver, Sir Omdry Lors, Walder Frey, Merrin Tyrant, Tywin, uh, Tywin Lannister, the Red Woman, Beric Dondry... Thoris of Mar, Sir uh, Ilian Payne, the Mountain, the Hound, and the Mountain 2.0. So, Joffrey dies. Uh, the Tickler dies. Polliver dies. Uh, Joffrey was killed by... It was so funny. <laughs> I love the way Joffrey died. Um, Polliver, she killed. Mm -hmm. Polliver, kill she killed with Needle. Um... So, um, Ambroy Lors, I don't remember how he died. Uh, oh, Walder, mm -hmm. Walder Frey. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Yes. Um, Walder Frey was the one who killed her mother, her brother, and pretty much everybody from in the Red Wedding. Um, the... Uh, 
Now, Tywin Lannister was the best. She didn't kill him. Um, she went to kill him. She used her ability to sort of... Um, at that point, she was still at that point of looking... Um, what's the word? She can look like, she looked sort of like a boy. And I can't remember the word. There's a word for it. Androgynous. So she looked androgynous at that point. Um, so she can pass for either a boy or a girl. And she she attempted to pass for a boy so she can get, um, so she wouldn't be raped on the road. Um, yeah. And so she even passed for a boy with all the other waifs that were kind of going around, or all the other boys that were going around kind of on the road. Um, and Tywin realized that, one, she wasn't a boy. Um, and he decided to take her in mm -hmm. to be his, his cupbearer. Uh, when he realized that she knew things that she shouldn't know as... Uh, as maybe like one of the poorer boys, he realized that she would be someone of noble birth. He started to sort of raise her and cultivate her as his one of his own children. So he, she would sit with him for dinners and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and they would talk. So Tywin actually took a liking to Arya. But didn't know who he, uh, who she was. Yeah. And she ended up not killing him. Uh, the hound she ended up befriending, which was awesome. And the red woman. She ended up not befriending the, the red woman. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> the red woman. Sorry. I had my hand in front of my mouth. Uh, she ended up befriending. Well, not befriending. She ended up uh, sort of respecting. And that was at the end. Um, and at the end is the first time since the beginning that we actually see Arya afraid. Yeah. Because well, actually, we see it a few times during her training as a faceless girl. But do we see it to the extent that she was? This no. was pure terror. Like fight or flight, sort yes. of. Yeah. And and Arya is very much fight. Mm -hmm. At the end, like towards the end, flight took over. Yeah. That last episode, flight took over. Also because she was intelligent and she knew her limits. And yes. when she was head on the head. Yeah, she, she was like, she... no, I can't do this. Uh -huh. um, um, the, uh, that episode with the Whites fight took over yeah um the hound with the hound though <laughs> freeze took over which was awesome <laughs> <laughs> but aria aria was very much there was a moment in there that she was very much afraid and she thought she was going to die yeah and it took the red woman looking her in the face and say saying what her teacher used to say to her what do we yeah. say to the god of death not today not today. And Arya gained her control, gained her composure. And from there was able to realize there is, she can think this through. She can make a plan. Yeah. And she knew what she had to do. 
I don't know what it is about that one saying, but actually, no, I do know. Okay, so a lot of times in therapy, we give people mantras. Mm-hmm. And mantras can be easily something, um, they can be sort of like, um, oh, what is it? Om Padme. Affirmations. They could be affirmations. They can be like um, prayers. They can be yeah. um, like old Sanskrit. So like, yo- sort of like yoga stuff. So whatever we think, they could literally just be sounds, but something that would help you sort of calm down and find your center. Yeah. Ground yourself on an idea or a word exactly. that has power for you. So pretty much, and that's what we're looking for. This is what's your power center or what's your center? How do we get you back to your center? Um, so this saying that her her teacher had started uh, instilling in her be- became her sort of her mantra without her even realizing it. Mm-hmm. Everybody would think her list was her mantra. No, her list is what uh, drove her and her list was what kept her sort of angry and gave her that fuel or that fire. Um, but that that saying is her mantra. That's what brings her back to her core. And that's what brings her back to her power and says, wait, I know what I have to do. Yeah. And, okay, so there's two things about Aria that I, that I really, her relationship with Sansa and John. Um with Sansa, it was a it was it wasn't a very good relationship, especially because Sansa want they were opposites in terms of how they felt about their gender expectations. Well, Sansa was very much the "I'm going to be a lady," and um, I want to be married off. You're supposed to. So this is where yeah. in family relationships and family dynamics. Um, and I've said this before in GFT, so you can go back in many different relation, uh, ver- many different episodes. And I say this frequently: should, supposed, these are sort of like what we would say are family curse words because this is what normally drives a uh, family conflict. When you suppose a family, when you should a family, this is what starts a conflict, and this is what started the conflict between Arya and uh, Sansa. Yeah, because she, uh believed that Arya was supposed to want the same thing she wanted. Yeah. And John and Arya were both like sort of outsiders in the family. Um, so they really bonded on that. Um, but the other thing I, I really wanted to sort of discuss, my favorite part in Arya's arc was her time with the faceless man. And part of that is because after she witnesses her father's death, um, she becomes consumed with this idea of revenge and she wants to have sort of justice done to her family. And in order to do that, she needs to gain power and power to her is to have these skills as an assassin, as a sword dancer. Um, and singer. <laughs> yeah. And, when she trains with the faceless man, all the training is about her losing her identity and her losing what makes her her strength and what makes her herself. Um, it's about you're not Arya Stark. You are a girl. You can be anyone. 
um, you're you're sort of meaningless in a way. Like you don't your your ideas of what you should do with this power are meaningless because now you're going to be a faceless woman. And we see this arc where we see her gradually sort of like um, go down on who she was and and slowly and slowly forget about who she was. And that moment when she um, kills the other girl and she goes to the faceless man and she's like, a girl's name is Arya Stark. And she remembers everything that she, why she's doing everything she, she does. And remembering that her power is in her identity and her experiences and in her family. And that's who she has to come back to. That to me was like the greatest moment in Arya's arc. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm telling you i'm gonna end up getting a soundboard Josue okay. is gonna hate me okay because i'm gonna put like tons of little sounds in it like the like a round of pros and stuff like that because <laughs> <laughs> i'm because i'm a dork yeah um, okay but when when she's come back her relationship with Sansa is all the better. And not because they've developed that relationship through speaking, but because now they both know that they both inherited this trauma. And they both know that they they were the only ones, I think, in the Stark family that saw Ned Stark being um, publicly um, executed, right? That is, that is just... So, okay, we will talk about Sansa's Sansa has so much trauma and we will Sansa is is an episode in and of itself because she's gone through so much. So let's let's move on. Okay. Because Sansa. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um no no no, we're going in alphabetical order. Braun. Okay. So Braun. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Um do we have anything else on Arya? Um no, it's okay. Okay. So um so Braun, on the other hand, um Braun was sort of he is a completely different child from season one to season eight. Season one, when we first see, see him, he is, and almost it's, it's almost foreshadowing. He is sort of the ultimate dreamer. He is also energetic, but he does like spending all his time at that, uh, red tree. Mm -hmm. I forget what it's called, but yeah. So it's this weird white tree with red leaves and, um, and he loves, but he loves climbing and his mom keeps con telling him he shouldn't be climbing so much because he's going to get hurt from all the climbing he does. And he does, um, he climbs the tower and he sees Cersei and Jamie making love because they invite the Lannisters. And of course he knows that's wrong. Um, mm -hmm. and Jamie just pushes him out the window. Yeah. In um, part, I think this is sort of a metaphor for his curiosity. Yes. And, uh, his head's in the clouds. He always wants to fly. He wishes he can be a bird. <laughs> it's very like Icarus, like where you you can get too close to knowledge where it might harm you. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens right at the beginning of the series. That's his lesson at the end of episode one. So, um, but then uh, Braun is also, so while Braun is... Uh, I convalescing at home uh, and his dire wolf is watching over him. An assassin comes for him and 
when the assassin comes for him, they have I want the cat's claw da- dagger. Mm-hmm. And with the cat's claw dagger, they're supposed to uh, kill him. The wolf, the dire wolf, attacks him. The assassin is stopped. Somebody kills the assassin, right? I don't remember. I don't. That's remember. too far off. That that's really like, and I didn't do my research. Sorry, guys. My bad. So either way, but he he they become he get he gets possession of the cat's claw dagger, which everybody knows if you've watched this season. Which again, if you're listening to this, you either don't care or you've watched the season. <laughs> um, you know, at the end, the cat's claw dagger is very important. Um, so he gets he gets possession of the cat's claw dagger. Um, which was meant to kill him. Um, Braun, of course, is now paralyzed and can no longer climb. And he is miserable. And they have to go on this journey because, of course, Winterfell has, Winterfell has fallen. Sorry, that was a tongue twister for me. <laughs> yeah. um, which is horrible because Theon Greyjoy, that's who we forgot. Theon Greyjoy. Mm, yes. Okay. So Greyjoy isn't exactly a Stark, but he was adopted by the Stark family. Um, and so not adopted, he was a ward. So because the Greyjoys had lost a battle, um, the Starks had taken him in sort of like a prisoner, but instead they welcomed him like a son. Um, and so, but, to Caitlyn, like Jon Snow, he was sort of like an interloper. Um, Arya, not Arya, Sansa was very much her mother's daughter. Mm-hmm. And because of the way her mother acted towards Jon, that's how she acted towards Jon. The way her mother acted towards Theon, that's the way she acted towards Theon. Mm-hmm. So that's that's that story there but now so theon when the fall of winterfell uh when there the winterfell came when the fall of winterfell oh my god i can't say this so anyway (laughs) when winterfell fell thank you um (laughs) theon was there and he said oh yeah i killed um the two stark children and he had he just had two random children kind of burned in in cages and Bronn and Rikan at that time, who was still alive, saw this and they were like, okay, we're out. <laughs> um, Bye. And, and it wasn't because he was trying to save them. He was trying to save face. Yeah. So this wasn't about saving those kids. He just wanted to save face. Um, so Theon is another arc that we probably will talk about because he was sort of part of the Stark clan. Um, and he chose the Stark clan, not over the Greyjoy family, but with the Greyjoy family. Um, so, um, so Bronn goes on this uh, sort of like this journey. And at first Hodor is carrying him in sort of like, a like a backpack sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he starts realizing he can, uh, the word was warg. So he can kind of travel, um, in the, uh, with animals. So in the minds of animals, he can see what the animals see. Um, and then as he continues on in that journey, he realizes he becomes the three, three eyed raven. Yeah. 
this is the big thing because throughout this whole season, this whole series, we're thinking, okay, the three-eyed raven, the three-eyed raven. So something important is supposed to happen. Um, he has some connection to the to the Night King because he knows how the Night King was made, and if we know how the Night King is made, we know how that how to destroy the Night King. Yeah, supposedly. Um, but the Night King touches him in one of his states of uh one of his uh visions yeah so he's not physically there he's in a vision the night king touches him and leaves a mark so now the night king knows everywhere he is why is it that the night king wants him so badly what's the connection to them we technically this is this is the part that i get upset why does the night king want him so badly and i loved it Sam Tully was the one who explained it. The three-eyed raven is the person who holds the history of the whole world. Yeah. Yes, the maesters write down everything, but the three-eyed raven is the one who actually knows all the history. Yeah. If, again, people know your history, if the, three if the three-eyed raven is destroyed, mankind is just destroyed because the history is gone. Mm-hmm. Then there's no re there's no knowledge of how to destroy the Night King. There's no knowledge like none of all of this is gone. So this is why the Night King wants to destroy the Three Eyed Raven. Yeah. Well, at the same time, like the answer to how to destroy the Night King is something that we already learned through other people in the series, which is Valyrian steel, and just go straight for the Night King. Right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, we, we learned that through Sam. So, yeah. So, yeah, but, but Sam Tully is, is, Sam Tully is awesome because he, he's, he is so smart and people do not give him the credit for it um, until the very end, which I think is, I think John Stark is the reason why he gets the credit that he does. Um, but towards the end, Braun ends up becoming, the ruler of six kingdoms. Mm -hmm. um, which I sort of like. And I was sort of not, again, I didn't, I wasn't crazy about that part of it because <sighs> I felt like the Three-Eyed Raven was supposed to be so much more. Yeah. And to be the king and they were like, okay, well, we're just going to sort of decide on the king since there's no more uh, throne. Yeah. We're going to just decide on the king. I feel, I don't know. Um, he, Bran loses part of his humanity in becoming the Three-Eyed Raven. And I think that is played out to be like one of the good things. Like, oh, because he's not human, he he doesn't have these attachments or like sort of emotions or pride that would get in his way. But at the same time, I don't know how comfortable I am having this sort of fantasy AI governing people. Um, I don't know. I, you know, and, and I agree with you to a point because I feel that when, when he became, when he got back with his family, mm -hmm. you started seeing a little bit more, of the humanity sort of seep back in. 
And I think if he would have had more time to reattach to his family, because Bran had a lot of trauma too. Yeah. And in that trauma, he didn't have time to attach to his family or have his supports with him. And for a while, he was just very much sort of going uh, going alone uh, at it. So we have to think, okay, well, if he's doing most of this alone, you know, what's what's going on? Like, what's what's truly happening then? Yeah. And and when he attaches with his family, we start seeing he's smiling a little bit easier. Um, he's kind yeah. of, he's kind of, there's small jokes, subtle, um, but they're there, but they're there. Um, and he's getting along with his family and that I think is what's helping him sort of heal and re and become human again. So now he becomes this, this king of six kingdoms. And again, I think Tyrion would do a good job of keeping him attached to humanity but at that very end we see they they want to find out where uh drogon is Mm -hmm. and and they're like he's like okay well i'll go find out like last we heard he was flying you know back to wherever um he's like okay well i'll go find out and he leaves the council Mm -hmm. so which means that even though so Part of it is good because that means that even though he'll be the king, he'll pretty much just be a figurehead and the kingdom will be ruled by basically a council instead. Yeah. Um, but the other thing means that if he's not there to oversee a council, a council can get corrupt very easily. Yeah. Um, and what, what is sort of settled as the, the political structure of Westeros from now on is an aristocracy where um the houses choose their own governance yes after a certain period of time with i i think is a very like appropriate solution in this world of westeros except that samuel tully again very intelligent requested a democracy and everybody was like ha 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 we don't do such things (laughs) yeah if if varus was not on the iron throne i don't think democracy would have worked (laughs) <laughs> Varys was my MVP, not just because he's bold. <laughs> so, okay. all right. So now we have Jon Snow. Oh, John, Johnny John. So, <sighs> Jon Snow. Jon Snow. Never, yeah. John Jon Snow is another one who is the fool. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um. And he's very, he's wise, but not intelligent. Mm, I think he's valued, but not wise or intelligent. Okay, explain. I think he, he has good values. I think he, being raised by Ned Stark and Catelyn Stark, um, he created this code of ethics, which is very solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows what's good for people. But he he's not wise enough to understand, um, you know, 
what sort of interactions are good and when you should withdraw from a sort of relationship or when you should um, understand that certain things are threats. Um, so my question to that would be, when would he have learned that? In how many relationships has he had? I I mean, he has a lot of relationships with his dark brethren. And the truth is that, um, like, even as even being raised by Stark um, people, um, you generally have this sense throughout life that some people are there to harm you and some are not. And I think John just shows to believe the best of everybody. So to his downfall. No. So I'm going completely to dis disagree with you. Okay. And this is why I'm going to say he's wise. Okay. John was raised by Ned and Caitlin Stark. Mm -hmm. Ned, who was completely devoted to Caitlin Stark, mm -hmm. who loved her unconditionally, yeah. who would do everything for her, but would do everything for his family also. And as such, when his family, his little sister, said, protect my child because he knew Rob she knew Robert Baratheon would kill um the child because it was a Targaryen. Mm -hmm. Ned lied to Robert Baratheon, who was his best friend, but also lied to his wife, saying, This is my bastard child with someone else while I was on, you know, a mission for, you know, yeah. several months to a year. Um to protect the child. And to protect the sister, mm -hmm. he could have told the mom, the, the the um, the wife, so that the wife would be loving towards the child. But the other thing was, if he would have told Caitlin, one, Caitlin would then be implicated, and would have then been, so there would be an implication of treason, which would get Caitlin in trouble, and he couldn't do that. Yeah. So that's again devotion. Mm -hmm. But two, the other thing was if she showed any love and care and compassion other than the like, okay, you're my husband's bastard child. So I'm going to protect you as, you know, another member of this household. Robert Baratheon, when he came to visit, would be kind of suspicious as to why are you being so nice to your, your husband's bastard child? Well, I don't think that actually, like, that would have, maybe that could have been a, a thought process. But at the same time, I think if Catelyn Stark would have treated John with respect, I don't think that would have aroused suspicion. It would just have been a sign that Catelyn Stark was a good mother. Well, no, because one thing that they had spoke about Robert Baratheon was that he was very kind of like paranoid and suspicious. Okay. <laughs> so that's why I'm going there. So. That was both in the in the show and the books, but that was like, again, Robert Baratheon was in one season. So, yeah. so look, we'll, we'll continue. So the only relationship he really knew was the Starks. So if you're going by like, you're supposed to love and support and blah, blah, then he would only know love and support and blah, blah. Mm -hmm. At the time where he should be developing his own relationships, he was sent off to the Night's Watch to not develop his own relationships. Yeah. So no matter what, Ned knew that the Targaryen line would die with him. 
Yeah. Um, but also to make Caitlin Stark happy that a bastard child was not was no longer in the home. Mm-hmm. So he was sent off to the Night's Watch with his uncle Benjamin Star- Stark. Yeah. So his uncle Benjamin Stark was another one who joined the Night's Watch. So again, had not had relationships. Yes. Did not develop a caring um, response with anybody. So there, when when people he the relationships he he learned about were relationships based on honor and support at the Night's Watch. Even there, we saw that he realized that people had to gain respect. Mm-hmm. But even then, he saw it as, okay, I'm going to do what's right for everyone. Yeah. Which is a wise choice, but it's not intelligent. Hmm. Morals and wisdom can kind of be sort of inter interwoven because part of our wisdom kind of is dev- <laughs> It's interesting. I think we have different definitions of wisdom. Wisdom, yeah. Um, yeah. And I and, and I see wisdom and morality can kind of blended blend like- blend together because okay, it's one of those things of like. What is the most common sense, logical thing to do? Okay, Mm -hmm. the most common sense, logical thing to do, if these people are outside and the Night's Watch are here to protect, then our job is to protect. And they're right outside. We're going to bring them in. Yeah. That's what John did. Which is what got him killed. Yep. But he came back from the dead, which is the reason why he's in season eight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So, my whole thing is, like, wisdom is sort of a common sense knowledge, which is what John has. John John has a very common sense knowledge. So, common sense can be part of morality, um, which is how I – and that's how I view wisdom. Um, Sometimes your morality – yes, sometimes your morality sort of kind of – convolutes things and sometimes you look at things and you go okay like some people are not wise and go completely onto their morality those are those like weird bible thumpers and everything is based on you know mm-hmm. whatever um uh they're standing on their soapbox going this is what i believe based on my book of religion and because i believe this nobody else should do it either that's completely different um but John doesn't do that. John is very much, this is what I believe, so we're going to protect these people because this is, this is how it, sh- you know, this is mm-hmm. how it should be done. Um, this is our job as Night's Watch. We're here to protect. Um, the Night's Watch is technically to protect the lower kingdoms, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um. Which is funny because the Night's Watch was, uh, the wall was pr- to protect from the undead. Yeah. So, but also to separate Westeros from the north, the rest of the north. Yeah, but when they started talking about it, like they they went into this whole thing that the main reason for the Night's Watch was to protect from the scourge of the undead. So they knew about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tywin was actually, oh my god, this is so okay. My bad, going into books. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, so John's John Snow dies. 
Um, he comes back from the dead. Everybody's surprised. He kills off a whole bunch of people. Yeah. And, but he starts gaining allies himself because people realize he actually knows what he's talking about. I don't want to say he's a good commander. Mm, I I think again. Okay, so this is a this is a part where I really have um, feelings about. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Jon Snow comes to the North, there's two things that end up um, determining whether what why he becomes king of the North. Mm-hmm. One of them is because he's a man. Well, duh. And, that you can't and, be yeah. king of the North and be a woman. You'd have to be a queen. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> but it's also the fact that they're used to sort of patriarchal um, structures. Mm-hmm. Even when we have people like the the Mormont. Um, oh, my God. Girl. Yes, we um, will talk about her another season. Yeah. Um, but um, people another are season, used to having male, male <laughs> leaders, mm-hmm. right? But it's also the fact that John, again, he speaks to emotion. Mm-hmm before speaking to logic and the north are very passionate people so if he comes back from the north to the north and he's like you know i'm here i'm gonna protect us all there's an army of the dead coming north um we're gonna take back the north from bolton um people will instinctively follow him because he has a connection to ned stark um and because, you know, he's a man. And we have this these moments or these glances where you see that Sansa has her head in the right place. She has very strategic thinking, but she's constantly being like... Um, undermined? Because uh, she's... Undermined. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Undermined and, and talked down to, not only because she's a, she's a woman, but because she has no reputation as a a warrior. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't garner a lot of respect from the North. And so these, I don't think it's because of John's intelligence or wisdom, but rather because John strikes people in their emotional sort of meets them at their emotional stakes. So, you know what? I agree with you. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. And when they fight with the Boltons, it's like, let's just go straight on ahead and like have absolutely no strategy, which um, is which is, which is the by the way why Rakan dies. <laughs> yeah, and uh, like, well, Rickon could have zigzagged, but anyway, like, come on, like just <laughs> zigzag. Like I think even John said that. Like, just why are you running in a straight line, you stupid little kid? Come okay, <laughs> but also, um, <laughs> this is exactly the same technique they use for for the Battle of Winterfell. It's like, you know, there's absolutely no strategy. It's mm-hmm. just like, okay, let's just send a drove of warriors and then send the next drove of warriors. And if Melisandre wasn't there, yeah. like to, to, to buy them time, it would be, it would have been just, so I think there's a pattern of like women coming out of nowhere and being like, okay, this is a more logical yeah. but um, let's, strategy. Let's, let's remind everybody. Okay. And then we can move on. Because we're going to remind everybody, how did the Battle of the Bastards win? Uh How did it get won? By Sansa bringing in the veil. That's right. Mm -hmm. Because Sansa knows the value of allies. 
Yeah. And also the values of having some form of tactical thinking because she didn't, I think she purposely did not bring the veil early in the fight because she didn't want to be seen as she didn't want that being to, to be seen as part of an asset in the battle. Exactly. So she wanted to wait until there was an opportune moment where they had already circled around the Starks and, and all the bannermen of, of the North where she could sort of flank them. So Jon Snow ultimately, because he kills Daenerys, um, Drogon, of course, melts the Iron Throne. So Daenerys did exactly what she wanted to do. She wanted to break the wheel. She wanted it to end. She saw the Iron Throne. She wanted it. She wanted to break the wheel, but she saw it as, and again, I want to do an episode just a full on Daenerys Targaryen. And I think Oof, that that's that, going to be a debate. Yeah, that really is because there is there is a lot about her, and she is so, like her madness shows throughout the seasons, and I think this may be a, a moment where you may have to do notes. Like we're gonna have to sit down and discuss everything yeah. so that we can do the notes. Actually, we're gonna have a heated debate on this. Yes, because you you didn't you didn't see the madness coming, did you? Um. I would say people mischaracterize the nature of her madness. I had this sort of illusion of um, there was this ending that I really would have liked where nobody ended up alive. And the, <laughs> the no, it, it's true. Like the wheel would have been broken. But I think like her madness was sort of ruthlessness towards her enemies, but never towards innocence. Or the people that they rule over. Yeah. And but, that's that's my thesis statement. <laughs> but, but the other thing was, if you think about it, when she was saying things like this, when she was going, okay, you know, we're going to break the chains. I want you to anybody who held a whip. Okay. She was going after all these um, powerful families who were slave owners. Yeah. But, okay, those slave owners, they had you know, children who may not have been like they, they could have been changed into the ideal that freedom from slavery would have been ideal, but all of but them were killed. She, she didn't actually, she didn't, um, she gave them the opportunity to bend the knee and sort of, um, she gave the parents the opportunity to bend the knee. What are the children going to do? Did she kill it? Did she explicitly say, like, kill the children so that they have no? Line? You are arguing that the ch that she's going to say, yeah, you know, to make sure that the children stay alive. No, she's going to say just like, okay, kill anybody who has a. That, that's what she said. Kill the slave owners. Slave yeah. owners. They're going to go by like. Are these children slave owners? That's the question. Yes. Do they own the slaves, or yeah. is it their parents? The family owns the slaves. Mm, I don't think we have that evidence to know whether they killed the children. I'm going by I mean, historical accuracy. Okay, okay. So if we go by our history, and I'm going to go use it this way because this is the only way I can do it because I'm not going by the books. <laughs> because from the books, I know what happened. So from, the <laughs> from historical accuracy, if you owned a slave and the parents died, the children owned the slaves. They were a commodity. They were um, things to be passed down, you know, generation to generation. That is it. 
So the slave owners were the parents. Once the parents died, the children owned them. So if the parent, if the, if the children were orphans, guess what? Those slaves were theirs. Mm-hmm. So guess what? The moment that the parents died, guess what? The children were the slave owners. So. Okay. We can table this discussion for when we discuss Targaryen rule. Yes. So let's go on. Cause yeah, that's getting me upset. Okay. <laughs> that episode is going to be heated. Watch it. So insane. Dear audience. We may like, have to do a YouTube just for that one. <laughs> we have to do like these sort of boxing matches, like, like advertisement. <laughs> like pro Targaryen versus con Targaryen. Who's going to win? So, okay, but we're back to Jon Snow. So John, ha- so Jon Snow ultimately uh, kills Daenerys because he's realized that she is she wants to do this to all of Westeros, anybody who is unwilling to bend the knee. And guess what? He knows his family is not going to. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like he knew from the beginning that his family was not going to bend the knee. But he was so led by his emotion. Because, he was led um, by his cock. Fuck yeah. emotion. <laughs> okay. I, I just didn't want to use the word chicken. But, um, you could have used but, dick. Okay. Because um, <laughs> that was better. But the, the truth is, like, there's this moment where John is talking with Varys. And John is like, I don't want the throne. And Varys is like, don't you think that that could be a good thing? Like for a leader to have not to want the throne and i'm like no i don't see that as a yeah, good thing that's not like, a good thing like it's it, not a like for somebody not to want to be in that position of having that responsibility like that won't work you're gonna get a half-assed ruler and yeah nobody wants a half-assed ruler and so john the way he he goes is like i don't want to be ruler so the next logical step is for my like this woman that i'm completely infatuated with Who's also my ruler. aunt. Yeah. And like, he's also like, so bound by honor of his like chivalrous romance towards her that he completely forgets about all the lives that are being affected by this. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. Yeah. Because he's more of the like, oh, nothing's going to happen. And like, no, a lot's happening. And that's the problem. Because, and and I think Sansa was the one who was like, okay, you want to do this. And, and I understand you want to have this battle, but even your men need to rest. Yeah. And I think this is a good transition for Sansa. So Sansa. Sansa starts out as... I want to say prissy because that's that's all you can say. She was prissy. She was very. She's much- very gender conforming, and she was infatuated by Joffrey. She wanted to be queen. She wanted to be a lady. She wanted to be. Um, she wanted to be everything that a lady should be. Sitting there. Uh, doing needlepoint, having children, and then hopefully one day ruling the kingdom as the queen. Um, so, and I want to say partly she was sort of power hungry. Mm-hmm. I think there's, I don't want to completely like tra- uh, trash her on this. Like, I think it's a perfectly valid point if that's the sort of life she wanted to lead. But I could definitely draw a difference between her and Marjorie. 
um, Marjorie, she wanted to be that sort of um, queen, a person that marries into power, but she was also smart about it. And she knew that people had um, urges and violent instincts that she would have to navigate. Um, and she had political intelligence, whereas Sansa was just in love with the ideal of being this sort of princess um, that marries off into into a, a powerful family. Yeah, and I think that was the difference. Was, um, But the other thing was that Marjorie Tyrrell was cultivated to know the difference. Exactly. Oh, I love the Tyrells. They're my favorite family. Um, um, yeah. And and so Marjorie Tyrell was, and I like the word cultivated. So she was groomed to know. Um, In uh, High Garden, cultivated. Yes, uh, because because their their uh, house crest was a rose. Um, so cultivated is the perfect ro- uh, word to use for this family. Um, they were very much. Um, cultivated to be sensual to be sexual um so she knew and diplomatic how, and diplomatic so she knew but she knew how to use her body because she was a woman and uh and uh to use her sensuality as the talking point and uh her her basically her mouth but also, she was completely and utterly wise. Like, the way she went around King's Landing doing charity work to gain popularity with the populace oh, yeah. of King's Landing. You know, she wasn't just about her looks and her sensualness. She was the full package, right? Oh, no. And the difference is that with with the people, she was one way. With the king, she was completely different. And that was this – is, this is the reason why – Cersei didn't like her, yeah. um, because the she pe- was too good, and she, the she, people liked her. Yeah, one. and she made the Lannisters look bad. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, and okay, but let's go back to Sansa. So Sansa, um, but Sansa, so Sansa, um, Sansa from early on ended up having to grow from learning the people around her, and Sansa. What I liked learned how to camouflage herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is because of trauma. So once you've been victimized, once you've been traumatized as much as she has, so one, watching the uh, watching her father be beheaded, watching um, and then being taken up, to see your father's head on a spike and being told that that can happen to you at any time you displease someone. Um, you know, this is, this is something where she learns to hide, but learns. So she starts watching and she becomes, she starts to become people that she finds powerful. Um, she starts to look towards Cersei as sort of a, a, a figure to, emulate she's when marjorie comes in she starts to look at marjorie as someone to emulate um so she starts taking in sort of the characteristics of other people um so sansa is not a full person until season i want to say season like six or seven Mm -hmm. um 
And and there are people who say the conversation between her and the Hound was sort of... Uh, I forget the word, but they were kind of upset about the way the conversation went mm -hmm. because she said, if it wasn't for what I want, because uh, the hound had said, if you had come with me, then little bird, uh, you wouldn't be the little bird. What was it? If you would have come with me, then little bird, you wouldn't be, uh, you wouldn't have gone through what you have gone through. Mm -hmm. And she says, if I wouldn't have gone through what I had gone through, I wouldn't be, I would still be the, the, the frightened little bird. Um, so people were very upset with that conversation saying that, you know, people, uh, that how dare, uh, how dare them say that it was because of her trauma mm -hmm. or, or how, uh, because of her getting raped or whatever she went through. So, yeah. So this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> yes, probably the wording was a little clunky, um, but I understand. And again, this goes back to they try to fit pretty much everything into six episodes. But yeah. Sansa had what we call post-traumatic growth. She found her voice. She found out who she wanted to be. Um, and she became wiser and learned how to protect herself and how to protect others and became wiser, sadly, because of all the traumas that were inflicted upon her. Yeah. She grew from all of that. So instead of becoming, uh, remaining a victim, instead of having nightmares constantly and flashbacks all the time, um, and all of the things that are, um, standard with post-traumatic stress disorder she had post-traumatic growth so she was able to see where she needed help and she went through it um she realized she needed allies if she was going to remain um strong she realized that she needed to protect herself which was why she ended up with and yes we do see this with a lot of victims that they will wear um uh, more, uh, high, more sort of uh, thicker clothes, things like that. But the, her clothes, if you look at it, are almost um, armor, which is appropriate for that where she's at. But she also clads herself in her family. Um, so she has the um, scales of her mother's household, which was the House Tully, she has the lion from the Stark clan. She um, she has stuff from all of her family members towards the very end. Um, but Sansa grew a lot. So she went from this very naive and uh, <sighs> idealistic, yeah, foolish. Yeah, those are the best words for her. Uh, child to being this very wise, intelligent, strategic woman. Yeah, and I think what I love about her is that yeah, she she starts out as this sort of fool character, um, and what she garners throughout the horse the whole series is that she sees the worst of what humankind can provide. Mm -hmm. Right, she sees 
um, the strategies and tactics that Cersei and Bolton use to suppress and to like oppress people and to bring about destruction and suffering. And she learns from them. She learns from Littlefinger as well. Um, but the good thing about her is that she doesn't take the same. She, t she takes the good things out of those experiences. And then when she comes back to Winterfell, she uses it to lift the, the voices of those people who were oppressed. And that's the North for her. And that's why she doesn't uh, budge whenever she's talking with Daenerys and Daenerys is like being all diplomatic and she's like, oh, I want us to be friends. I want us to, you know, I really love your brother. Um, and she's like, okay, yeah, I want to be your friend too. But also, are you going to let the North be independent? Yeah. Because um, that's what matters. Like these people have lives and they deserve to be respected. And that's what she gained because she gets the malice. She gets the strategy. She gets the distrust that Cersei had, but she doesn't compromise on her humanity and she doesn't compromise on the fates of the people of the realms. And I think that's what makes her such a valuable character and her growth makes it so valuable. So, I mean, Sansa, I think, it ends up being one of my favorite characters. I mean, Tyrion... Yes. <laughs> it's so funny because Tyrion and Sansa were married. Uh, I shipped, I ship, I still ship Tyrion and Sansa, especially at that moment in the Battle of Winterfell. Oh, my God. Hands. Yes. And I thought that Tyrion was going to come out there and, and, like, die or something. Mm -hmm. Ugh, I couldn't. But I it's it's funny how even through everything, Sansa still respects Tyrion and still believes he's still one of the smartest people she knows. She also, you know, when he when she tells him like you were the best of them, mm -hmm. um, like she she hated the fact that she was married off to him because it was it was put in this sort of angle that it was shameful. And at that time, it felt shameful for her to be married off to Tyrion. But after she knew him and after she knew who she was and she saw this cruelty, she understood that Tyrion was the best of them. He was a kind of person. And that's why she she could, like, I think she defended Tyrion in front of Daenerys after um, he trusted in Cersei. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's another resilience factor for her. Like she could see that she could see the good in people, but she also had that distrust that kept her, you know, on her feet. Well, and I think that goes to the, like, she's been through a lot. Mm -hmm. So she knows when she should, um, when she should trust people and when she shouldn't, but she needs to, she needs to weigh those circumstances same same in the, her relationship with theon and the sort of forgiveness that she she gives him so okay so let's series. let's go from Sa so sansa again sansa was very much about her relationship with someone else who needed she needed to be married to someone to be a full person Mm -hmm. And this is what I'm going to say. 
Um, she believed that she would not be a full person until she was married off to someone else and made a lady. Mm -hmm. She found, she realized that she was a full person because she was a Stark. And it was her relationship with her brother, Bronn, her relationship with Arya, which when they first were children, they didn't get along because of those shoulds and those supposed tos. But Arya, who didn't like Sansa because of what Sansa did to her, uh, the, the expectation Sansa put on her, um, and Sansa, who didn't like Arya because of those same expectations, grew to um, love and respect each other because of um, their, their new skills and traits that they grew up learning and becoming. So Arya says to John when John tries to make a stab at Sansa, mm -hmm. um, she, he's uh he said something as oh my god she's still as sort of like airheaded as she you know as she once was and Sansa uh, Arya says she's one of the smartest women I know uh, one of the no not even women Sansa's one of the smartest people I know mm -hmm. um and she does what she does for her family yes so Arya Arya respects her Arya knows what it is to do what you need to do for for the family so um so. She, Sansa and Arya have reconciled. Bronn and Sansa have reconciled. Um, but wait, that that scene where Arya and Sansa reconcile is that in, in the penultimate season when Littlefinger dies. Um, and that's wonderful because throughout the season, you see Littlefinger trying to pit them against each other. Oh my God, that was so He's awesome. like, uh, you know, you can't trust Arya. She's an assassin and she yeah. she's done some stuff. And... And Sansa keeps reminding people, like, you know, I can't trust Littlefinger too much because, um, like, he sold me off to Bolton. Mm -hmm. But you get this idea that she might be believing Littlefinger. Yes. And that's her playing along. Yep. And that's her having that malice and, and knowing when to show her cards. Yep. And so I think it's just wonderful, that one moment where she's like, oh, Littlefinger, yeah, stand there. <laughs> And she's like, you are a criminal. You did this, that, that, and this. And now well, my sister's going to kill you because well, you no, can't no, no. pit us apart. Yeah. I loved the whole, that whole thing because she was very vague. Uh-huh. Arya was standing. Um, oh, yeah. She was sort of accusing Arya. She, she was, was framing she was, it that way. She was accusing, and it could have been Arya. Yeah. She was making those accusations because Arya was right at the center of the room, right? Yes. At that moment, yeah. And so but, it seemed like she was talking about Arya. And then she she said Baelish. <laughs> it was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that that scene is just wonderful, and it it goes to show, right? Like Arya and Sansa didn't have any relationship before that. Like it was just like. It was a very like mm -hmm. not good relationship, yeah. but they they settled their differences and they know what's important: their family and keeping that. And they come together non-verbally, at least as far as we know, on so what the next much. step should yes. be. So yeah, so much. <laughs> so um, our uh, Sansa and John have still a tenuous sort of relationship. She loves him because he's her brother. 
Um, and, but she's protective of him and she, as his, as his sister, she feels he's being stupid. And manipulated. Yes. So she feels this is just because he's in love, not that he's thinking. He's not doing this intelligently. He's not being logical. He's not, um, really thinking through what's to do next. He's being led by his cock. Sorry. We got to keep saying it. Um, mm -hmm. Because this is what his queen would do, and that's it. Um, and since that's what's going, that, that's what she believes, she's, and, and my favorite part about it is, you know, Sansa used to just bite her tongue and not say things. Sansa says it now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where John is like, oh, she's still kind of like an airhead and she doesn't know what she's talking about. And Arya's like, no, she's very intelligent. She's like one of the smartest people I know. Because now she, she thinks things through and she'll say it. Before it was an emotional reaction. Now she's like, oh, mm, you know what? Something doesn't look mm -hmm. right. Let me think it yeah. through. And then she's like, you know what, John? Because when, when they talk... She tries to have it, you know, let's talk together. Mm -hmm. Um, The same with Daenerys. When she's talking with her, you see her, like, very open to the idea of them being allies. Yes. But, you know, as far as Daenerys recognizes that she can't rule over the North and just use that power as she will. Which, which was funny because so... Daenerys had this moment where, oh my god, no, let's not, let's not. We're going to do this another episode, another episode, okay, no, okay, another okay, episode. Yeah. No Daenerys, no Daenerys. Bad cat, okay. bad cat. Okay. So, <laughs> so Sansa, Sansa, um, Sansa loves her brother, but she's going to tell him straight out, you know, you're doing something wrong because you are not thinking. You're thinking with the, the little head and not the big head. Like, stop thinking that way. Think with your big head, you know. We're doing something. Okay, wrong. I just got that. Oh, okay. <laughs> that image. Continue. So, um, and and this is where the strife is still between John and Sansa. Um, he doesn't want to think that he's doing something wrong. He wants to believe that he's in the right in choosing Daenerys. Uh, he he never trusts Sansa. From the moment he comes back to Winterfell, he's always undermining her. Right up to the, the last season. Well, he's still in the, like, Sansa as a little kid. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. is sad. And that, that really biased him. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and Sansa ends up being the queen of the North. So, yeah. at the end, when they have the council and they're deciding on this aristocrat, uh, aristoc say it? Aristocracy. Aristocracy. Thank you. I can't say it. Aristocracy. So, when they decide on this... Um, uh, Bron, uh, Bron is made king of six kingdoms. Sansa says she loves him and she will support him being the king of the six kingdoms, but the North will remain separate, independent. independent. Yeah. Um, because that's how it should be. Um, and he supports his sister, um, and sort of his like, yeah, I knew this is how it was going to play up thing. Um, and the, the truth is that it's an aristocracy. And after some point, Bran will not be leading. And she doesn't know who's going to be that person. Yeah. So she can't, she doesn't like 
set her roots in that in that new kingdom, she, she feels a lot more comfortable if the North rules itself. Because she doesn't trust it. Yeah. So, Much like Cersei. But she's like, let's be allies, okay? Yeah, From yeah. a distance. Yes. Like, yeah. Um, so the, the, the North, as it is, um, as small as it now is, um, except Sansa knowing as, because she is a very good leader, accepts her as their new queen. Yeah. And again, now, now we go back to her, her clothing choice. And again, she's chosen this, uh, outfit that denotes her family. So she's got the Catherine, Catherine Stark, uh, Caitlin Stark, uh, who used to be a Tully, um, family crust, which is the fish. So she's got scales on one arm. She's got, uh, Rob Stark's crown. I think it was Rob Stark's crown as her crown. Mm -hmm. She has Jon Snow's cape. The pelt. That pelt. She has sort of like that same pelt in her co in her thing, and she has Arya Stark's um, Arya Stark's like half cape thing done on on her thing too. Mm. Um, and she has her little needle point at the back of her dress. She has a needle that ties her dress together. And Bron, what was it? Oh, he has a lion crust, and she has his his lion crust. Mm. I, I didn't notice any of these things. I'm gonna have to look at the picture. Yeah, so I'm such a girl. <laughs> so put it on the show notes. Yes, I will. Uh, I will. I will attempt to link everything I talk about in the show notes so that you could see pictures of everything. Um. So yeah. So um, Sansa is very much about family. Um, and, as, and she's the queen of the north. And she's the queen of the north. And as such, she tries to keep her family together. And her way to do it is in her costuming, yep. which which I loved. And in my head canon, she will marry Tyrion. <laughs> Tyrion, the hand of the king. Yeah. Well, um, I'm. Happy and sorry to say, if you want to find out what really happens, read the books. Because George R. R. Martin has uh, said that the new books will be coming out shortly. Uh, and I think... Hopefully he will not have a heart attack before. <laughs> yeah. So, we'll see. And that's... I, I think we said all we have to say about the Lannisters and Starks. And I think that is the end for Game of Thrones. We will wrap it up there. We might do other families. We may end up having to do... We weren't going to. We really weren't. We actually have a whole sort of layout. We'll keep it on a might basis. Yeah, we have a whole layout of what we will be doing. So... <laughs> This may end up being like, we'll pin this for later topics. Um, so if you want to find us on Twitter, you can find me at CatMFT and you can find uh, John at Psychogonically, which is P-S-Y-C-H... I can't go. C-H-O-G... O-N-I... 
C-A-L-L-Y. Which I will have in the show notes because that is a very big word. Um, and you can find uh, GFT on Instagram and Twitter. And you can, oh, and on Facebook. Uh, please leave a review, like, put fives. We would like fives because if you like and review us, this is how other people find us. And, you know, all that fun stuff. You can also join us on forums and Discord. Um, Discord is where we talk about everything. But if you want to talk about this specific episode, you would join us on forums. And again, all of this will be on the show notes. The lone wolf dies and the park survives. That was horrible reading. <laughs> the lone wolf dies and the pack survives. <laughs> there we go. All right, everyone. See ya. Bye.